HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43, the Good Beer Seal, and Heritage Radio Network. It's uh, March 20th, 2018, and uh, winter's almost over in New York, and we're, we're thinking about new places to go and hang out. And uh, for the second week in a row, we're talking about Bushwick. So we've got the kids from Brooklyn Cider House, which is one of our new favorite places out here on the show. So let's introduce each other. Uh, Lindsay. Hi, I'm Lindsay Storm, part of uh, Brooklyn Cider House here in Bushwick, and also with an orchard up in New Paltz. And what's great is that I first met you a couple years ago when, when you were just getting the brand out there, so we got a lot to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, and uh, another a, a friend who's a Basque enthusiast, he's also importing his own cider. Yep, my name is David Cassione. I am the owner of a one-man show uh, importing company focused on Basque products. Great, and it, what's great is that uh, you know you've you lived in Basque, you fell in love there, fell in love with the product, and you're going to round out our talk today because there's some really cool stuff happening at Brooklyn Cider House, right? Absolutely, it's really exciting. Great, and and one of the owners, another owner, uh, what's Lindsay? Are you an owner too, a partner? Kind of, kind of specialty, <laughs> and uh, and I'm um, Susan Yee. I'm one of the founders as well. That's great. So you're at your, your brother's Peter, mm-hmm. and you guys have been going to Basque for a long time, haven't you? Yeah, I would say probably for like 12 years. That's great. So you guys brought something really special special to New York. Big shout out, HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Check it out. You can become a member. And um, we're going to have some fun tonight talking about one of the newest places in Bushwick. I love Bushwick. Um, it's a special place. You know, there's Jefferson Stop, Morgan Stop. We're out here at Roberta's Pizza. But you guys opened up in Brooklyn Cider House and uh, Bushwick. So let's talk about that. You guys gave me the backstory. I know you guys had, a, we were planning a vineyard upstate, but you've got a really cool spot in Bushwick. Uh, tell me about it. Sure. Um, well, Susan can probably talk a little bit more about how they ended up picking that space specifically um, and why Bushwick, you know, beyond just the fact that it's a place where there's empty warehouse space that could be, you know, repurposed for something on the scale that Brooklyn Cider House was um, looking to do. But yeah, Susan, you want to talk about what what made you guys pick that space specifically? Yeah. Yeah, we knew we wanted to do it in Brooklyn. Um, My brother and I, our family, we lived in Brooklyn since 1980, around 1980. Um, We weren't weren't too familiar with Bushwick. Um, I knew that there was a big art scene. I knew that there were lots of small batch um, producers and businesses coming up that were really creative. Um, we were really just looking for a place that was kind of a manufacturing or warehouse space that could house what we wanted to do. We wanted to make cider. We knew it had to be big, and we wanted it to be visible with lots of foot traffic. And when we found this particular spot, we kind of 
we kind of knew this was it. Um, it was an old pork manufacturing plant. Um, it was not pretty at all, but it was really big, and it's on this like kind of triangle, and um, it intersects with a lot of really busy streets. So there's a lot of visibility there. Um, and I don't, I don't know. We we were picking between that and south of Gowanus. So of those two places, I'm actually really glad we ended up in Bushwick. It was perfect for us. That's cool. What cross streets is it at? Um, it's on Flushing Avenue, um, right off of Irving. I think I want to go there after this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Come interested in it. Yeah. It's great. You know, <laughs> I was just there a couple weeks ago. I mean, David, what was your impression of it? Because I know you, you lived in Basque. Is this like an authentic kind of Basque experience? Yeah, shockingly so. I mean, like the feel like nails it. I sent a couple of pictures to my partners in Spain and they were like, where is this? I said, Brooklyn. Like, Get out of here. It's just amazing. Uh, it just really captures just like a sort of like down home, like sort of like damp cider house feel, uh, but in the best way. Um, you can hear, you can smell the cider, you can hear it pouring, and the food is really authentic too. So what, what really are the good. typical dishes that you could, I remember when, when Peter was on in October for our Cider Week show, he wouldn't tell me what the menu was. He said, oh, it's, it's a top secret, and I thought he was working on a pizza recipe. <laughs> I had no idea. So it turns out you're doing an authentic... What's the term for, for this type of uh, restaurant in Basque region? Sagardo Tegui. Can you say it, Susan? Sagardo Tegui. Can you say it, Lindsay? Sagardo Tegui. No, I can say it. Sagardo Tegui. <laughs> so what is it? You've got like grilled meats. you got... What? Yeah. Um, the menu, I feel like, is pretty... It's somewhat rustic. Um, I tend to talk about it Sagardo being... Sagardo Tegui. Yeah. It sounds very good. Um, Sagardo so, means cider. I like when David says it. Yes. Well, it's a little more authentic. But um, yeah, so we do a prefix menu in the restaurant, which is um, kind of our version of what a Basque cider house would be serving. Um, so it's taken its inspiration from the foods that traditionally are served alongside this Basque style of cider that influenced us. So food includes things like chorizo. Um, in their words, it would be chuleta, but it's a, a large bone-in uh, cowboy ribeye steak. Um, it, we rotate between a couple of different Spanish cheeses uh, with walnuts and membrillo, which is a quince paste. And we also do a traditional Spanish tortilla, which is m more similar to sort of like a omelet meets a quiche in a way. I don't really know how to Americanize it, but that's like sort of the best. It's like a frittata yeah, sort of thing. Um, that, that incorporates bacalao, which is a salted cod. David, did, did you say you had it the other day? You really liked it? Yeah, it was great. Uh, I th normally what you get in a Sagrada de Tegui in Spain is more of like a, almost like a French style omelet with the bacalao inside. Uh, but it's usually like runny and kind of maybe a little challenging, I think. I think it was really smart to go with the tortilla, like the more like typical like tapas style Spanish tortilla, but with bacalao inside. I think it's a really good creation. We tested it out a lot. And yeah. um, the runny, the, the more traditional style didn't go over too well. <laughs> yeah, and like the, the idea, I, I feel like the idea of an American having an omelet for dinner is just it's, it's a little challenge. challenging. It's challenging. It is. Yeah. Eggs for dinner yeah. here seems to be quite a. It throws people for a loop. Little by little. Yeah. And what what other items did you test out? You know, let's let the whole. We'll start jumping. How did you figure out this menu, and you know, how long did it take you to develop it while you're opening? Hmm. Well, <laughs> it, I mean, I think it's sort of constantly under development. I think that's one of the joys of being a relatively <laughs> small team, but a very inspired team is that. You know, at least, you know, with when you're we're talking with Peter in the fall, I'm sure he was uh, in the development stages at that point. And I think, it, you know, we took our cues from the types of food that are traditionally served in a Basque cider house and added or augmented it just just slightly just to make it approachable. Um, like we said about the omelet um, that said, I, I think it's really meant to be a relatively set menu where we maybe add certain things on occasion that are seasonal or special but for the most part, that's traditionally what you're served when you go to a cider house in Spain. So we really wanted the authentic experience to be consistent. Um, and, you know, I, we people ask us a lot, you know, is this going to change seasonally or are you going to switch up the menu all the time? And, you know, Susan makes a really good reference where you don't go to a steakhouse, you know, in this, especially in this city, to eat something other than what you know they're going to, you know, execute extremely well and always have. 
So from the dining perspective, we really wanted to make sure that what we're serving on a, on a nightly basis is something that is excellent, you know, consistent, yeah. and also traditional. So Susan, if, if I walked in and I, I, I want to sit down for dinner, and if I say I don't want steak, what would you say to me? I would say you have two options, steak, vegetarian, or you're out. You're out. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I wanted to say. I, I think at the end of the day, it's about the cider, right? Mm-hmm. And if, like, if there's going to be an adventurous sort of unknown part of the meal, it's the cider. And I think what's really cool about what you guys are doing is you have, you know, some really small batch stuff going on that's going to have some variability. So I, I think it's so David, awesome. you, you know Basque. Uh, what's the, <clears throat> the style of the restaurant again? Sagre. It's like out of the taggy. It's like, it's a, like uh, yeah. you know, it's like something out of like a Mead Hall, like Grendel, like kind of thing. I don't know. It's, <laughs> that's the that's the way I described it to my friends when I came back from Spain. So it's just like from this other time, and it, and it just never it, it, it really went out is. of fashion. I mean, when you go to these places in Spain, a lot of them are you know like are hardline tra- traditionalists. There's no chairs in a lot of these places. You stand up to eat. Um, uh, a lot of them don't have utensils or plates. Right, and it's usually family style. So what does you eat with we your hands? We have all of those things, though. You, we do have You chairs. have forks? We have chairs and forks. <laughs> oh, but do, you, so you know. do you eat with your hands <laughs> and, and Basque? Uh, the ones I've been to, it's just family style. You know, it's just like maybe, the, maybe there's like one knife being tossed around and then a bunch of forks. I, you know, everyone has their own fork, I think. And if the forks touch, you have to get married or something? Uh, I don't know. I think I you know. just have to drink. <laughs> right, sorry. Let's go back. So when I first met you guys, you were starting your brand mm-hmm. um what are we drinking right now because your, your ciders have come a long way also in the last couple of years sure so um currently in front of you you're drinking our basque inspired cider which we've named raw um raw we released for the first time in the market in 2015 in the fa- i'm sorry in 2017 in the fall but it's actually took us about two years to achieve our first batch so it's a pretty wild style of cider it's unfiltered um it was aging that whole time in our stainless steel tanks upstate. Um, It took a lot of kind of time and effort, but love on our part to sort of get it to the level that it it finally um, reached before we were happy with it and able to bottle and and distribute it. So for the first two years that we were actually in the market, you know, talking with people like yourself about our cider and our project, that cider didn't even, it wasn't even finished yet. So we were really thrilled to have it before our opening in Brooklyn because this is the this is our first batch of the style of cider that inspired the whole project to get off the ground. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense to me because when I first met you, what you were more just like kind of getting to know the market because you had some basic ciders mm-hmm. and you were talking more about um, the the orchard you guys were planting. And where is that in the Hudson Valley? That's right in New Paltz, which is about 90 miles north of here on the west side of the Hudson River. So if you think about where Poughkeepsie is, um, people can typically kind of envision that on a map. Um, it's just on the west side. So just cross the Hudson River on the west, and that's where we are. So it's actually a really reasonable commute from New York City, which was always part of the plan um, when trying to figure out the proper place to plant and invest in the trees that we would need in order to kind of more consistently make the style of cider that we fell in love with. We needed a place that we could actually get to without it being a two-day train trip or something all the way up near Niagara. So um, oh, That's great. Yeah, do, you, do you go up there a lot, Susan? Um, not as much as Lindsay, <laughs> for sure. I'm the nomad in the bunch. I feel like I've... I should that's just, how I know you're driving yeah. around. You're going from one account to mm-hmm. yeah, new balls to... Yep. All the way down here, yep. Where were you today? You just pulled up, like... Uh, I just pulled up in the farm truck from the farm. Um, So I was just up at the orchard today. And we reopen up there on April 1st, so we have a lot to accomplish before reopening our farm stand and to the public. Do you have a tasting room up there, too? We do, yep. We um, have a tasting room that's open. Um, This season will be open four days a week. So we do free hard cider tastings there every day that we're open. We do do wood fire pizza, um, we love Roberta's. Thank you. That's what uh, Peter was teasing. That's what Peter was teasing. <laughs> he was about. teasing See, there me is a about reason. the wood-fired pizza. Yeah, we do do that up there. We also have a wood-fire burger grill and a pavilion. So it's a really wonderful kind of way to get in touch with where the cider begins. Um, and also, I think for people, especially people who have been a little bit more urban locked, um, it's not a hard hard trip to make. And I think you feel very rejuvenated being around, you know, trees and ponds and open space and just being able to kind of exhale a little bit. Awesome. Well, we're after a great start. I'm drinking the raw cider, the sidra, from uh, 
Brooklyn Cider House. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. This is Katie, HRN Executive Director, and I'm so excited to share with you our coverage from the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. We are here live today at Charleston Wine and Food. Join us as we talk all things food. Come to Charleston, eat some seafood. Eat all of the seafood. Chicken fried chicken with chorizo steak and salsa verde mashed potatoes. So quintessentially like Southern fare. At its finest. And have important conversations. We're also talking about professional women in restaurants and how underrepresented they are. People of color in restaurants and how they're not talked about. We get real with Food Network's Manit Chohan. Balance is BS. <laughs> uh, I, I, I was, yeah, I was told that uh, I wasn't going to be bleeped out. And find out about raising sugarcane with Chef Sean Brock. It's like being Indiana Jones or something. You never know what you're going to find. You'll come away inspired by the power of food and the food scene in Charleston. Here's Dr. Jessica B. Harris. Food is constantly in flux. Food is always moving. Food is the only real lingua franca that we have that allows us to connect with other folks. So tune in to Heritage Radio Network on tour at heritageradionetwork.org or wherever you get your podcasts. You can't go wrong. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio and the Heritage Radio Network. You got some great trips, David. You guys went down to Charleston Food and Wine and uh, looking forward to a, a full season of all the great things going on. Heritage Radio Network. Oh, yeah. All right, man. So we're back and talking about Bushwick, a second week in a row. We got the Brooklyn Cider House opened up uh, not too far from here on a Flushing Avenue. And uh, we've got some great people here. We're drinking the raw, the nice uh, Bast- Citra style. From uh, Brooklyn Cider House, Lindsay, keep going. You, you were saying such such great things. Backstory: You got orchard up in uh, New Paltz area. Sure, yeah. So our orchard up there is about 210 acres. Um, it spans kind of two sides of a road, one half of which is accessible to people. So, what's great is that between April and early November, we open our doors to sort of anyone who wants to come through during our open hours. So it means that anyone can sort of take a walk, um, kind of visit the trees. I think one of the best times of the year to come to an orchard is actually during apple blossoms, which happens usually at the end of April. So think about cherry blossoms, but just a slightly different uh, time of year and a different fruit. And that's just, it tends to be kind of like a lost a lost moment um, in the tree season, just because most orchards that are open up to, to the public aren't open all year round. So people typically just don't even think about apples or apple trees until the fall when they're ripe. And so what's great is to be able to have people kind of walking around these fields that look like they're filled with these white kind of almost like cotton blossoms. I mean, it's really just a magical time of year on the orchard, and it's great to have people have access to something kind of for a longer period of time than, than traditional. Yeah, well, it's gorgeous. In the spring, it's, check yeah. it out. And, you know, when you guys are in the Bass region, I mean, w- you have some cideries with these great restaurants. Um, you know, how do the people treat the the orchards and the experience i mean is, is it is it like this where we're new yorkers we have to get out of the city and go to the country or is it more like they just take it for granted that there's all these beautiful countrysides and trees i mean you've been there a lot susan you know what what, what do the re- typical folk think of when they're in that region i think it's a little different there because you could be like 15 minutes away from the city um i remember the place that we were staying at a lot was Urnieta. And um, it's probably like a 15-minute subway ride from the main city in that area, San Sebastian. And you're, you know, right right close to the city. You can see, like, cows grazing and sheep grazing, and you hear the cowbells and stuff. So it's a different... It's definitely a different relationship. Like, I think regular people there really know quite a lot about animals and farming and where their food is coming from. So it's it's definitely different than here. 
it's more integrated, the country life and the city. Yeah, definitely. I think actually most people can sort of trace their heritage back to these country homes called baseris, and they all happen to be, you know, sort of like outside of the main cities. And so they can say, oh, what Bassetti is your family from? Oh, in this little town right next to the Cider House. So everyone really grows up sort of like going back to the country regularly because it's really not that far away. I mean, you know, like you said, 15 minutes out of San Sebastian, you have like maybe 50 Cider Houses and orchards. So, You know, one thing I love about learning more about Brooklyn Cider House, especially with Lindsay, is that, like I said, first to me it was, wow, you guys are hungry, you know, new, new cider brand. And and then I started learning about the, the Basque influence of, of Peter and um, what you guys were doing. I remember one of the first times I, I met your group, you guys had a, a Spanish cider maker working with you, didn't you, at the time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the three of us actually came and celebrated our cider being on draft um, at your establishment. So that was a lot of fun. It was a nice kind of... I don't know, it's one of those first moments that you have when you're feeling like, oh my gosh, we're actually doing something and it's real. And, you know, instead of it just being this sort of passion that has been, you know, burning inside of Peter and inside of Susan, it was like, oh my gosh, we actually created a product and it's actually in our glasses and we're actually in an establishment in the middle of New York City. I mean, it seemed, you know, it's what seems like it's so far away when I'm sure the, you know, project is just at its onset. It was was actually a realization. Yeah. Is it cool, Susan? Or are you are you just too busy working right now? Um, it's really cool now. At that moment, I think it was like really shortly after I had my baby, and <laughs> I had totally dropped out. <laughs> you had other very important things to be focused on. Yeah. yeah. So you have a real baby. You don't have to like. You don't call the business your baby. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. And then you. Um, so you guys rolled out. This brand, I like. I really like how you've done it. Well, now you're giving. I, I'm seeing the Basque identity. I, I know from the show we did in October with Peter, talked about his love for for Basque cider and and, and and Spanish wine. So I know more about it, but I want you guys to tell me more. I want you to tell me, you know, your time in in the Basque country, Susan. You've been there quite a lot, um, you know, and you know how that translates to this place you guys opened in Bushwick. Um. It's kind of interesting because I think I spent about five summers um, out in the Basque country, but it was really pre this love of cider because I was definitely at the time much more interested in um, uh, wine and and other hard liquors. I think like I probably preferred gin over um, cider for sure. But I remember that whenever we went out with like family and friends, um, we always started with sidra and. I never really loved it. Um, so it wasn't until we went to a cider house that I started liking the cider um, because it was just something so unexpected and different. Um, and I didn't really know how to appreciate it or how to approach it. And the person that really changed my mind about it was for sure Peter, my brother. Um, and it was because his first experience at a cider house, which he had been dragged to by a family friend, um, kind of blew his mind. Uh, he had been going to all these like incredible restaurants in the area. And, um, you know, his friend was like, you need to go to a cider house, you know. And when he finally decided to go, um, it blew his mind that it was such a casual, like rustic experience. The food was really simple, but incredibly good. And he found this drink that was so versatile. It went with everything. And everyone was just having such a good time. No pretenses, you know, nothing snooty. It was just, wow, this is really good drink. It's all really natural, you know, really good food, surrounded by family and friends. And he, from that moment, he was like, oh, my gosh, I think I found something better than wine, which he had devoted his life for, you know, 25 years exploring and and developing. Wow, that's cool. Cheers to that. <laughs> Cheers. And then, you know, more background on Basque. So, David, you, you also kind of fell in love with the Basque region. Uh, you were traveling. Give, give us your quick story, and then we'll also taste uh, the cider that you're, you're bringing into the States. Yeah, so my first job after college was actually in Pamplona, Spain. And uh, I was actually working as a chemical engineer for some random company, uh, making some very obscure products. And to tell you the truth, I wasn't working too hard. Um, my coworkers just sort of made sure that I was just having a good time. That's what all they really cared about. So it turned into like sort of this gastronomic tour of Spain. You got to go to this town, try this. And 
for the first few months, I had tried cider at the local bars over and over again, but it, it never really caught my attention. I was like, oh, it's, it's very different from our cider. It's not sweet. Um, but I, I wasn't wowed by it at first. But then, like you said, going to a cider house, eventually my, my coworkers said, okay, it's cider season, January through April. You have to go to a cider house. And I sort of reluctantly went. But when you try the cider sort of in its context, paired with the food it's meant to be paired with, and in that environment, it was, just, it was just like a game changer for me. I went from being a chemical engineer to suddenly being interested in hospitality. I mean, because I thought what I experienced was so unique. Uh, I think one of the most unique aspects of the Basque Cider House is that everyone gets up to go get a drink. So you could be sitting next to a bunch of strangers, and in fact, like in other tables even. But through the course of the night, you're going to meet like 100 people because... There's no bottles. You have to get up and go to like this communal barrel to catch a drink, which I thought was just so unique. So kind of kept that, the wheels started turning at that point. A couple years later, I got the opportunity to go back and work with a Basque Cider House during a harvest. And the idea was really just to learn how to make the stuff, come back and maybe work for a place like Brooklyn Cider House. But I became such good friends with them that we decided to go into business together and start importing their stuff really small producer that I got hooked up with. So you've got so. your brand is Barica? Yep, Barica. Um, the story behind that name is, I originally wanted to name it Cupella, which is the Basque word for the barrel, because I think what makes Basque cider unique as well is that generally it's aged and fermented in these big chestnut barrels, but turns out Cupella was taken. So Barica is sort of a controversial word. Um, Basques will claim it's Basque, Spaniards will claim it's Spanish, but it means the barrel. Uh, it's, it's not also, like the dirty barrel, the barrel they no, throw compost in. No, no, no. It's you it's didn't definitely pick the it's, wrong de barrel it's definitely wine based, and I, I can argue for the Basque case because it's the name of a little Basque surf town to the west of San Sebastian. So, Barrica, uh, the cider house in Spain is called Iruin Sagrado Tegi. Does that story resonate with you, Susan? Um, it really does because your story kind of mirrors Peter's experience and kind of having that mind-blowing or life-changing experience in this, like, one instance. Um, and it was just about, you know, having fun and meeting new people and socializing in this the context of, you know, the cidery and good food. and Yeah. yeah. And I always, I always thought that, you know, part of the reason why you couldn't really jump into it because you didn't know Basque. But now you guys have brought that same experience to an American setting, which I think is so important for people to understand the product you know, and the culture behind it. Which, how do you toast in Basque? Is there a, a, a word for toasting or shoot? Do you toast? Do you toast? Or you just catch the... Salute. Salute. Yeah, salute. salute. That's, that's Spanish, though. There's a... But yeah. Lindsay, you just uh -oh. poured me so another... So let's, you guys went from just setting up as Brooklyn Cider House and you, you were waiting for, for, for some of your Basque-style ciders to come around. And now you've given me a second bottling. So let's talk about how this the evolution of these products are going for you. And how are you selling these to your customers, too? Sure. So um, we technically have five different cider varieties that we produce, um, four of which are kind of consistently or as consistently as possible in the market, one of which is takes at least 18 months. So that one is, it comes and goes um, based on... Which one's that? That's still bone dry. So Peter probably talked about that. It's a still cider. So back in the fall... Um, when you guys had your conversation, and I think there was a big focus on still ciders, which are slowly but surely kind of creeping their way into the market. And I think people are learning to appreciate a still cider. They're not just expecting something apple-y and really carbonated, um, which is what America has sort of done to cider. <laughs> We've sort of forced everyone into that category. So um, so the still bone dry is our, it's sort of our own little small production that we traditionally only kind of hand sell out of our tasting room and eventually maybe also out of Brooklyn, um, depending on what our next batch turns out to be, but that takes a year and a half. So the other four that we make, um, the raw, which is the one you started with, and then the one I just poured for you is bone dry. So that one takes about 10 to 12 months, depending. Um, one of the nuanced differences between us and some other cider makers is that we actually only produce cider once a year. So that's really different. Um, so think about it more like a wine. Um, we produce only when the apples are in season, um, which typically means we're harvesting September, October, maybe early November. It means we're starting all of our production typically kind of October, November, maybe December. 
Um, and then each cider that we produce takes a different amount of time. So some are much shorter. So thing are like our sweetest cider, which is called kind of dry. Um, that one is kind of the quickest turnaround, typically about three months um, from start to finish there, whereas bone dry, like I said, is 10 to 12 months. So bone dry is um, lives up to its name. Uh, bone dry means uh, it is bone dry. There is no residual sugar left. It is lightly carbonated. The goal with that cider is really to be like this classic American dry cider, like almost, you know, back the way that our forefathers would have been consuming cider, but with a small amount of carbonation just so that it kind of opens up on your palate, not so much so that it's sort of fighting, fighting you the way sometimes soda or, you know, like seltzer water can be really bubbly. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So, I mean, in the Hudson, that's why you're in the Hudson Valley, you're, you're making cider. It sounds like a very American, in New York, you know, uh, cidery, but then now in, in Bushwick, you guys are actually being inspired by, by, um, Basque and uh, what, what's this term again for the Basque restaurant? Sagardotegi. I, I think Sagar means apple. But Susan, will you say it again for me? Sagardotegi. Lindsay. Sagardotegi. Everyone. Sagardotegi. I love that. I need to hear it's things like the about vocab word. ten times. You know. <laughs> we'll test you at the end. I know yeah. you will. <laughs> Susan came in, so I uh, I was so excited to meet you because I know what you I know I'm, you're, I know your brother had, was in the wine business. A lot of people know him from that, and I was really impressed, you know, at his tasting ability. And he's very modest about it uh, in, in the Still Cider Show. If you, if you please listen to it, check out. Uh, it was a Still Cider Show with South Hill and uh, and Brooklyn Cider House back in October 2017. Great, great episode, going deep in cider. Um, but to meet you as well, um, you know, it's really fascinating. You guys, a, a wine family, wine business, and so again, somehow you, Peter discovered who was what was he doing. Importing Spanish wines, trying Spanish wines. Well, he was kind of a leader in in promoting Spanish wines in the states too, wasn't he? Yeah, I think uh, I think before a lot of people were interested in Spanish wines, he was really pushing for it because he he had discovered French wines and Italian wines, but he so realized going back like what thirty years or so. I think it was probably a little over twenty years, maybe maybe more now. Yeah, maybe like twenty five years ago. Um, and then he would take trips out there and just discover, you know, go around and taste um, wines and discover these small wineries and bring those wines back to New York. Um, and that's how he started. And actually, his previous business, um, PJ Wines, um, actually had an incredible selection of, of Spanish wines. And then t- tell me the other story about how uh, you guys went on a family trip to Spain and some of the adventures you've had. Because you have some really great stories. Um, yeah, we, I mean, I think that for sure the Basque Country changed my life in many, many ways, too. Um, we did, like, a big family tour. And, of course, this was because Peter had kind of fallen so deeply in love with the food and the wine in Spain. And then one summer for a family vacation, he set up this like huge wine tour. For, so for two weeks, he took our whole family um, through the wine country. And the last stop that we made was in San Sebastian um, because he said, this is one of my favorite places in the world to eat and drink. Um, and at that time, though, we didn't, we didn't know anything about cider. Um, we did go to uh, Chacoli Chomin, which is a, a, a chocolate producer, um, which we loved at the time. We had like an incredible anchoas and stuff. But um, yeah, we had no idea that we would be going into business um, with cider making. I know that uh, there was an article that mentioned us and it was like two crazy Korean people um, opening up a, a Bosque-inspired cidery in Brooklyn. So... I guess that's us. Well, I'm trying to I'm trying to help establish your cred on it. That's why. So you got to talk more about Peter's interest in Spain and your trips there, because I'm I'm believing in you. You know, it sounds really pretty, sounds pretty authentic, doesn't it? Yeah, David? I mean, she mentioned anchoas and and chocolate. It doesn't get much more authentic than that. Uh, they definitely have a different way of eating out there, right? There's such a focus on simplicity that I don't think you can almost. It's hard to get away with here in the United States. You know, the the stereotype about us is we put sauce on everything over there. You get some chocolate, and you get some anchovies on bread. And thank you, you know? And it's and so cho- good. What's chocolate? Chocolate is like this spritzy white wine they serve. They high pour it, just like cider. If you go to any bar in San Sebastian, you'll see all these waiters high pouring this weird wine. And it's this bubbly chocolate. It's super good with seafood. 
but it has a lot of similarities, like nice acidity, similar to like a Basque-style cider. If I go to Broken Cider House tonight and I get the steak, can I put an anchovy on it? Do you have anchovies? <laughs> we do have anchovies. Uh, we could, we could yeah. get some special exceptions for you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll break the rules. but Okay, we're going to take another short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Understanding when you are away Can't use my heart to think away the time In my room I will await you And so soon I will relate you And tie your finger right on up to mine Sweet Josephine, you live in my dream My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's A super duper awesome place Roberta's is a very, very, very very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Uh, we're uh, talking about Brooklyn Cider House, and it's the second week in a row we're talking about places in Bushwick, places to go. Big shout out to our council member, Rafael Espinal, who pushed for the New York City Nightlife Office, big advocate of this neighborhood in particular. And we're going to head over to the Brooklyn Cider House after after this event. So um, David uh, from Barica Cider, the American who wandered over to Basque, uh, another one from this, everyone here wandered over to the Basque. Uh, let's, let's taste your cider. And, and, and uh, again, you, you've modified the Basque-style cider for the American market, haven't you? Or not, not? You haven't? Not in the least bit. So tell us about so it. So this is your archetypal, traditional Basque cider. Um, it okay, is... going to pour it for us. This particular one uses six local varieties of apples. Um, and he did the high pour, too. Yeah, he's doing the high pour. So, um, Wild fermented is the important part. So there's no yeasts pitched. Um, it's fermented exclusively in chestnut barrels, no stainless steel. Uh, it's from a very, very small producer that actually has no shelf presence in Spain. Um, so the thing that most people don't realize about cider houses is they, they don't really make most of their money by selling cider. The cider is, for the smaller ones, is sort of like a draw for you to come to their restaurant, and it's like, oh, you can drink cider, et cetera. But these guys, they're, they categorize themselves as that small cider house, but they make a fantastic cider, and I really lucked out in getting hooked up with them. Um, so the, the vintage we're drinking right now is really close to my heart. It's the one that I helped make. I literally did everything for this except the final blend, which is uh, uh, my buddy Juan Ignacio. Uh, did. Um, I'm very happy with it. I think it's very approachable for a Basque cider. It doesn't have that overly acetic funk, um, but I think part of that is due to how fresh it is. You see a lot of 2015 ciders right now, and you know the thing about Basque cider is the authentic ones, there's really no added sulfites to stabilize them, so they really need to be drunk within the year. So that's why you said the, the, the height when you're in Basque country, you go to the cideries, is like with the spring ses- spring season. So right now, if you were to go to if you were to Basque country right now, you'd be drinking the 2017 vintage, but it's not available in bottles. So they have this new harvest festival from January to April, and really the cider's not really ready to bottle yet. It's sort of it's sort of still pretty funky and fermenty tasting. But if you want to have the fresh stuff, you go in there, you have it, and then whatever's left over in April and May is what the what they bottle. Um, so. But yeah, this one you're drinking right now is the same one you'd be able to buy in Spain, uh, the 2016. How vintage. long have your friends? How long have their family owned that that facility? So they've they've only been commercially producing cider for sale for about 180 years, but how long the actual <laughs> cider house? Thank you for laughing. Which is, <laughs> that's it. Which it's, sure? it's actually, I mean, it's actually, you know, that's pretty young for some of these Basque cider houses. A lot of people don't realize that. Before there was wine in Spain, the Basques were making cider. I mean, these, this is a pre-Roman culture we're talking about here. Um, so basically everyone made, every family made cider, unless you were on the coast and you made chocolate. You know, in every family there's one guy or lady that been drinking cider her whole life and, and still has lived to be 180 or something, right? I, I'm you sure. don't have a story like that, David? No. The Basques, gotta be. The Basques live forever, though. Yeah. I think it's the little fishies they eat. 
You know, I think the fish, heavy fish diet, I think that the helps The anchovies that I can have on the steak. Right. Afterwards. I, I remember one day I was walking from my apartment to the cider house, and there was, like, this old guy in, like, your traditional, like, beret-looking uh, beret chapella, they call it. They call the berets chapellas out there. And I'd seen him a couple times before. How are you? How are you? And he's like, oh, holy, tengo una resaca. You know, like, I'm, I got a terrible hangover. I'm like, what? This is, it was my birthday last night. The guy's walking pace with me. I'm late to work. <laughs> and I'm like, how old are you? He's 96. The guy was walking with me, and I wasn't, like, slowing down too much. And he was talking about he was hungover. So who wants to tell me the, the health benefits of cider? We can say that on air. This isn't a label. We're not going to get TTB inspections. But who wants to take a stab at What are the health benefits? I know from certain, certain doctors will say that certain wines and ciders, if they're naturally fermented, you know, do have health benefits, um, including what it does for your gut. Um, does anyone want to take a stab at what are the health benefits of cider? I mean, I talk about it all the time in our barrel room, but sometimes I'm sort of winking at the same time. I mean, I have been known to say a healthier drunk. So <laughs> me and that 96-year-old gentleman obviously have things in common. <laughs> um, I mean, I think in some in some cases, at least specifically for Basque ciders, you know, it's unfiltered. So you're getting that fermenty, that kind of yeast equality and that 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 fermenty aspect that's really good for your gut health. Um, and I actually, you know, I've had lots of conversations with diners and discussed with them that the reason that that cider goes so hand in hand with the traditional meals or menu that's served at a Basque cider house is that it's really helping you to kind of cleanse your palate, to help you digest what you've just eaten and get you ready to eat more. So actually, if you were to sit down at the cider house and not have the Basque style of cider with the meal, you'd probably not feel as good upon leaving than if you had it, which is a little counterintuitive, especially when you're talking about something alcoholic. But in this case, it's it's very clean. It's very fresh in certain cases, meaning it's not, you know, it's not the ciders that they're catching, at least in our establishment, are 2016 harvest. So it's, it's pretty young. Um, but it also is helping them to kind of digest what they're eating. And it's cutting through it. That acidity is really wonderful on your palate. So... I mean, I don't know if you can write on it, drink the cider, it's good for you. I'm sure our FDA would not allow yeah, that. Yeah, I don't think so. A um, uh, hundred years ago they did. Right. I mean, <laughs> well, it's like Guinness, right? That, like, it's good for you. And they had you. cocaine yeah. and Coca-Cola, but... Right, so, <laughs> but, I mean, we're not doing any of that. <laughs> but I know there's a lot it's more natural. studies. There are yeah. studies coming out that talk about these, like, naturally fermented beverages, in particular, Com- like... Kombucha. Yeah, kombucha. Yeah. Right. But also, you know, the, 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 with alcohol, you know, certain wines, ciders, and, and even like wild fermented beers, the natural fermentation um, not only helps your gut, it can also help your brain. So Maybe. I don't know if you've... Cider makes you smarter. Yeah, okay. and also, Thank you. if you think about like... For Ugly me, apples taste better. That's our slogan. Cider that's makes you smarter. Yeah. You could probably get away with that slogan. Cider makes you smarter. Yeah. Yeah. Apples. Yeah. But also like raw apple cider vinegar. And there's that connection, not that it's vinegar, but the fact that apples, right? And for me, I know when I'm fighting off something, I always take raw apple cider vinegar. And there's something in it called the mother that, you know, is alive and active and really good for your gut and helping to fight off all types of, you know, infections and and things like that. And there's definitely something that's alive in our cider. Um, And part of it is because, you know, we don't kill everything off you know yeah. we, we you take it, it in a, a spoon of it or you mix put it in water i would or? say you drink it and you buy it Straight. by the case <laughs> <laughs> do you guys actually make a apple cider vinegar or is that on your list of it is on products? our list but peter probably would be like that's <laughs> it's also usually <laughs> traditionally cider vinegar was more expensive than cider i i, I know that from history even Maybe. today, to get a yeah. good apple cider vinegar, it's really expensive. Yeah, does it, does it take it's more part, time. It's a big part of Basque cooking. You wouldn't be surprised to know um, if you go to like a, a Basque uh, asador where they're you know grilling fish, they always finish it with a little apple cider vinegar. So in the in the same areas that Susan was talking about, you know, going to um, try chocolate and, and being served fish with it, lots of times they finish it with a little garlic and apple cider vinegar. That's nice. I mean, that's the ultimate in local in local cooking. You know, you, yeah. not everybody has uh, lemons from the south of uh, Italy <laughs> available, and we do. We, we seem to get stuck in these in these, you know, rote menus. Where I'm in New York, and wh- why am I serving lemons with with a fish dish? I could have apple cider vinegar. You know, that's wild. Susan, I'm so glad you mentioned the the apple cider vinegar. I'm a big fan of it too, and uh, it's also it's a fermented product, so 
the whole thing about fermentation, it is good for you. And, and uh, you know, people in the fermented non-alcoholic movement are, are saying that all the time, whether it's kimchi or something else. But I, I think that, I think, you know, when I first got in the industry in like the early 90s, people, studies were coming out that said that red wine was good for your health and in particular like your cardiovascular health, you know, prevent heart attacks. And that wasn't on any, um, you know, label, but it became popular you know, in the media, and I think it really pushed uh, wine sales. So, I don't know. Cheers to good health, and uh, you can say, "Oh, cheers to good health, Lindsay." I can say, "Cheers to good health." Yeah, that I mean, can be. We can also say health. cider makes you smarter. I'm as long as I like that label. one. As long as not on the label. Are you going to trademark that cider makes you done? Smarter? Okay, and then David, you can have us translate uh, "cheers to good health," but in say it in Basque. Yeah. In Basque? Well, I don't yeah. speak Basque. I can speak a little Spanish. I know little a couple Spanish. words. Salud just happens to be. That's the same thing. Chin, 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 chin. So they you, are, hear yeah. that, you hear that all the time, too. You know, you, sh- you show me pictures of, of some of the, the real Basque cider houses, and they they look like they were old ranches where you could just have ride in with your horses in the courtyard and tie them up. Is that the feel that, 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 that you guys aspire to, that this beautiful country setting? We do, but it's not quite as cold (laughs) (laughs) i would say that um we're we are trying to we're kind of taking the best of both worlds um so we are making it a very rustic and casual experience so you could definitely pull up in like your work boots and and your horse um but (laughs) but we you know we want it to be kind of a warm intimate you know almost like a fine dining experience but not so not so fancy. So the differences between Spain and, and Bushwick for for the broken cider house is that you guys have cider, your own cider, but you do you serve it from the cask or is it people order bottles or by the glass? How, how do you get your product? So in the bar area, you order it um, by the bottle, by the glass, or by, you know from the draft. Um, but all the diners actually are drinking it. And catching it from the barrels, just like oh, they cool. do. Oh, cool! Yeah, <laughs> you guys even have the right glassware for it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it. What's the What's the right it's glassware? It's it, It's like a tall rocks glass, but very thin. I I I had never seen them in the U.S. before. They're imported from Where, Spain. From Spain. <sighs> and what's the floor? I mean, you have if, to be authentic. If here. people miss it and catch it, is it like a concrete floor? Or is it? It's concrete. Concrete. And we have some drains, so if you're clumsy, it's it's fine. Yeah, it's not a big deal. So you get the cider, you catch it. Wow. Keep going. This is good, Susan. <laughs> yeah, so we actually brought over these these barrels from Astudias. They're 60 to 80 years old. Um, we brought them over in 2000, at the end of 2015, um, and there was nobody that actually could even fix it and get them up and running for us. We, we brought in a cooper from Astudias in November to get our barrels up and running. But yeah, you catch them directly from these chestnut barrels, as David was talking about. Um, and there's a... I pour by David. I love that. Yeah, and the barrels are set up so that the spout um, creates this high pour. And everybody is together kind of collectively in this line, and you have to help each other um, so that you don't spill all over the floor. Wow, so you got that down. And then what about the food? Is it is it... So I know in, in the Basque region, it's... A set menu, you pay like one price and you get platters of food. Uh, how do you guys do it at Broken Cider House? Yep, we do the same thing. We do a prefix menu. We have one traditional option, one vegetarian option. It's um, f- very, very reasonable for what you get. Um, it's $43 for the vegetarian, $49 for the traditional. Um, and you get a, you know, grilled vegetables, chorizo, um, tortilla de bacalao and the bacalao is from Iceland we we spent like six months trying to source like the best cod um, and also a great uh, cow, cowboy ribeye steak from Colorado wow. um, and then we end with uh, membrillo as, as Lindsay was talking about and, and cheeses from Spain so that's one set and then is the cider included or that's extra the cider is included. Wow, that's a deal. What a deal. <laughs> it's a feast. It's, it's like better than feast. Restaurant Week in New York City. My God. It's Restaurant Week all the time. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not, we're going to talk about that too because we're talking about places to go when you're in New York City and Bushwick is a cool place. I honestly find that so many restaurants are way overpriced. By the time I order a few things and a few drinks, I, I don't, I don't, I don't like where that's going. And I appreciate that. That sounds like a great deal. 
where I'm getting family-style food, an interactive experience, authentic, and with my drink. I'm really proud of you guys. That That's a great great entry point for New York City. Do you think it's a good deal, David? Fantastic deal. I don't know how you guys are doing it. It's awesome. Yeah. Thanks. No, you guys are... Let's make a toast to that. And Lindsay, <laughs> wrap it up, because you're kind of like the, the, the voice of Brooklyn Sutter House. You're a great salesperson. I mean, kudos to Susan and Peter... Pretty much instantly, the minute you started working for the brand, you, you got to know all the right accounts. You know, people like Katarina Martinez at Lineup Brewing, you know, you're, you're, you're really in the industry. So Thanks. I'm so happy to have you on Thank the show. You. Yeah, well, I mean, just to echo what you guys were talking about as far as it being approachable, I think one of the key points um, to our brand and also to what we're doing here in Bushwick is it's really about celebrating a few things. It's about great cider. Um, it's, a gro- it's about great food, but it's also about community. So we really wanted the place in Bushwick to be a place for every person. We didn't want it to price out its neighbors. We didn't. We wanted it to be a place where anyone could go and not be having to save, you know, six months worth of their paycheck in order to achieve, you know, one dinner at Brooklyn Cider House. You know, the goal was to really come here, come into the fold, drink this great wild natural cider alongside the food it's meant to be around, meet other people because that is how it is in the Basque region. I mean, you are kind of bumping elbows with strangers, but that's part of the beauty of it. And this is a really wonderful place to do all of that. Um, And hopefully it opens its door to, that means, you know, kind of everybody, right? We want it to be a place that celebrates all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I'm really it, impressed. I can't, haven't even been there yet. I think well, I said I was show, there, but I haven't um, been there yet. I've been dying to go there. I think the other thing, too, is that, you know, we talked about the, the, the prefix menu, but in the bar side, you can get food a la carte, so you don't have to commit to this kind of long experience if you're not up for it. Um, it's a lot of fun, and I suggest doing it, for, but for people who are like, oh, I'm not really sure I really want to do that. What's a chestnut barrel? Why am I catching cider? You know, it's, it's fun, but also I think on some level it's really new and different. Um, but the bar, you can just come in and have a cider, and it's our ciders. It's other great New York State makers. It's other great breweries. It's great New York State wineries. So we're, it's not just only us. It's us and others. You know, So it's really about kind of rising tides. And more to come. Yeah. 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 Lots Cheers, more to come. Susan. And uh, this last cider you poured for us, Lindsay? Something a little so different. So the last cider that, um, that I just poured for you was actually from one of the chestnut barrels. So um, Susan was talking about how they we imported these amazing chestnut casks from Spain in order to do this kind of authentic torch experience. And this is from barrel three, which is we nickname each barrel based on the contents. Um, this one's nicknamed Punk. Um, it is our raw style, which is our Basque-inspired style. So again, unfiltered. Um, this one's been aging since December 2016, so you can taste some of the nuanced differences from this one and the other batch of raw that we drank earlier. I think the acidity here is really bright and pleasant. Um, it cleanses your palate, even though I know we're not eating anything, but it leaves it really quickly and kind of makes you salivate and gets you kind of ready to eat some it's food. Good, it's a good steak cider. It's a great <laughs> steak cider. Wait, so Susan, is this what you called over to the Brooklyn Cider House and they brought this over just for the yes. show? <laughs> and they took it fr- straight from the cask? Yes, they did. Wow. So yeah. it, it, it tastes totally different. Um, I love it. There's different flavors in there. Does anyone want to tell me what the flavors are? Because it's fascinating. It's definitely, as Lindsay said, like bright. Um, there's a little, it's citrusy. Yeah, definitely a citrusy tang. For yeah, sure. yeah. Somet- sometimes people say it's like gingery as well. Um, but it, it, the best thing about this cider is that uh, it goes so well with the food. And and one of the things, just touching, going back to the barrels, what, what I love about it is the fact that, like in the Basque country, you kind of don't necessarily th- see this, like, finished cider, but you see it in progress. So, like, when you go to the cider houses in January or February, like, you're still tasting the ciders kind of in process. And that's what I think is very special and unique about the experience at Brooklyn Cider House is that, the the ciders that you actually taste while you're eating there with the prefix menu, they're the only ciders that you can get from the barrels. We don't actually bottle it, um, and you can see the process. So all of the barrels right now, they contain ciders from um, 2016 harvest, but they're all different. Um, and you can see them developing at different stages, even though they were harvested at the same time and have gone through similar processes because of the natural yeast and because of the microbes, it's doing different things and they're acting differently, which and, is and what... different barrels, I imagine. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, not all these barrels are the same age. You know, 
they all have like little imperfections. At least that's the way it is in Spain, you know. Yeah. In, in my cider house, you know, there's some barrels that are 30 years old, other barrels that are 80 years old, and just the ciders they produce are just drastically different, even though it's the, the same blend. And what's interesting is that we had some people just last weekend from the Basque country, and it gave me chills because they were like, oh my God, this really does feel like we're in the Basque country in this cider house. And um, they were saying, it's interesting because it took you like a year, like these ciders are taking you over a year. And I said, for sure, it has to do with the yeast. You know, we're, we're a brand new cidery, you know, we're just starting now. So maybe in the Basque country, maybe it takes like, you know, four, four to six months to have a cider ready to, to, to be tasted yeah. and bottled. But for us, it's taking a year to 18 months. But, you know, as we develop more yeast and as we have certain microbes in the barrels and in the air, um, our ciders also are going to be changing and evolving. So, mm-hmm. no, And also, too, about the fruit, like not to bring back to the orchard, but the Basque, you know, people have access to these wonderful ancient apple trees that and apple varieties that just don't exist here stateside so a lot of it also is about what fruit are we working with so ours will always be you know a nuanced version or it'll be an american version or our own interpretation of that which i think is also an important distinction because no matter what we're dealing with you know what fruit is accessible here what fruit were we able to plant at our orchard and you know what will that mean for the future of basque cider in new york right it's yeah it's kind of wow yeah any one more thing susan you got me interested. I like <laughs> you're right about so the, the, it takes the, the while while for your in your own cider house for the yeast to develop that you're working with. Mm-hmm. That's pretty interesting. And yeah, I, yeah. It's things that you're just learning that, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. I used to be a teacher before, so I had nothing to do with hospitality and cider making or wine making or food for sure. I liked to eat and drink before, but <laughs> I was, yeah, that was never that was working also with the case it. with me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but you know, because in all the different shows we've done since 2011 about cider in New York and the Northeast, everyone's talked about the need for you know, you know, growing more trees and the time it takes for for the if the trees to develop. But no one has really talked about yeast, so that was pretty interesting. Yeah, but even the, the trees, yeah. Yeah. We, we, when we started the project, our whole vision was just what happened here in Bushwick, opening the cider house. We never knew we were going to get into farming at all. But when we started to source the apples, we, we were like, okay, if we're really going to do this, we need to plant the trees. Yeah. Wow. And you're, you've been around for the whole ride, Lindsay. Yes, I have. So, and just like these two, I have no history in cider making or farming. Um, <laughs> but it's a it's a crash course, right? Once you're in something that you love and you're passionate about, I think you kind of you just fall for all the all the different corners of it, and and you learn. Well, let's talk about the next step. So, are you, is your farm truck really parked outside? It literally is. Are you yep. going to be driving over to Brooklyn Cider House? I literally am, and I would offer you guys a ride, but you'd have to ride in the actual. I'll do it. Flatbed. <laughs> um, there David is no space. There's. I mean, that's fine. It's Can we I only have a. Truck a... To do some deliveries. I'm, I'm still. I'm still using the back. The truck. We're going. You remember when that would park outside your place? I'll yeah, go. you know. And, and we want to get a photo. How about we get a photo in front of it too? We can totally do that. Yeah. Yep. And I, I'm so happy. Thank you guys for coming on. A bit, couple of shout outs coming up. Um, we don't need Cider Week anymore because we can go to Brooklyn Cider House, celebrate spring, uh, you know, with you guys. Uh, my event, you can you can come and taste some Barica Cider uh, April 25th. Check out brisketking.com. It's a one of the ongoing great New York City food festivals. Uh, each year, there's different New York City area chefs competing to be Brisket King in New York. The last two years, we've had kosher New York City chefs who've really adopted the you know, Texas-style barbecue, and many of them are being coached by our great friend Billy Durney at Hometown Barbecue. So check it out, Brisket King NYC at brisketking.com. You can taste some barica cider there and some other stuff. Um, and anything else you guys want to shout out? Uh, Lindsay, you know, you got new releases coming up. Just go to Brooklyn Cider House and... Uh, yeah, I mean, I think for anybody who's into cider or, or in the neighborhood or in town for any length of time and you're curious, please come by. We give impromptu tours all the time. I think even just seeing the space in the barrels is worth a trip. Um, it is unlike anything else that's in this city or pretty much country. the whole country. Um, so hopefully we can in, in, you know infect you a little bit with our passion. That's great. And thank you guys for what you're doing, Susan. Um, appreciate it. You know, cider has been taken off in New York for... I don't know, only seven or eight years, really. Um, thank you. You're yeah. welcome. Thank you for having us. This Thanks for great. coming on. Yeah. And David, we're going to learn see so much more about you with what you're doing with Spain and 
You might be selling wines too, right? Yep. Got some uh, Chocolina coming. We, we talked about that uh, earlier in the show. So All right. Some nice spritzy rosé So kind of salute, cheers to good health. Yes. And what is it? Cider is good for your brain? Cider, Cider makes good. you smarter. Cider, Cider makes you smarter. smarter. But I own that. And then last thing, what, what is the name of the Cideria-style restaurant concept? Well, you one, tell us, Jimmy. I'll go one, two, three. Thank you. Takes me a while. So, hey, thanks to everybody. Producer Justin Kennedy, engineer David Tadishore. I'm Jimmy Carboni. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.